I'm always seeing things on the news and thinking that can't be right, can it? Listen to the KYW News Radio in-depth podcast and make it make sense. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. What we are describing here is the most extraordinary breach of protocol within the judicial system of the United States that, that, that perhaps has ever occurred. Now, that's CBS News's White House correspondent, Stephen Portnoy. And the breach of protocol that he's talking about was the leak of a Supreme Court draft opinion from February that was released by Politico last night, implying that the U.S. Supreme Court's majority is poised to overturn the 50-year-old case of Roe versus Wade. So we have four really big questions about this. First one, is this true? Secondly, what happens next, particularly here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade? What does this mean for the election that's right around the corner? And does this decision stop at Roe versus Wade? Or is there more at stake than just simply access to having an abortion? I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And today we're going to try to find some answers to these questions that are running through our and everybody's minds. So we'll start with this. Is it true? And what happened? We go back to Stephen Portnoy, who broke down on KYW News Radio earlier today exactly what all this is. What we saw last night in a leak obtained by Politico is a draft opinion uh, that was written by Justice Samuel Alito, uh, uh, written in early February, which is uh, said to be co-signed by at least four other justices, which means that there's a majority, five justices, uh, and it's labeled as the ruling of the court. Uh, what it says is that uh, Roe versus Wade, decided in 1973, was wrong from the start, and that all the subsequent jurisprudence in this area, when it comes to abortion rights, uh, need to be overturned. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that abortion. It doesn't mean that abortion would be outlawed nationwide. What it does mean is that at least in 13 states where abortion uh, bans are already uh, set to be put in place, already on the books, those would instantly take effect, and uh, the women in those states would not be able to uh, get abortions there, and the. Um, the broader ramifications when it comes to the, 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 the leak again are that it could have irreparable damage to the operations of the court because the idea here is that the justices depend on that uh, secret process to be able to reach deliberations and, and reach conclusions uh, that they feel are best for the, the institution of the court and for the law. And so uh, we'll see what happens next. But um, first of all, what we'll see is whether, you know, when this opinion finally does get handed down, whether it actually reflects the text of what we saw last night or whether, in fact, there are some changes. So clearly there are a lot of elements to this. But the first thing is that the Supreme Court issued a statement saying the document is authentic, but it does not represent a decision by the court. So this isn't final This is just a draft, and we don't know who leaked it, but Chief Justice John Roberts directed the marshal of the court to launch an investigation this morning, so we may find out more soon. Any official ruling will likely come towards the end of the court's term in late June or July. So that brings us to the second question, perhaps the most obvious. What happens now? If the Supreme Court does, in fact, overturn Roe versus Wade, some people's first thoughts would simply be, does that make abortion illegal? Well, as we heard Guy Stephen describe, it's a yes answer and a no answer. It's not something that encompasses every single state or municipality in the country. It's going to become a state and local thing. And it's incredible timing that this is all happening two weeks before the primaries here in Pennsylvania. I wonder if we're going to see some of the tones of these TV ads that we've been inundated with change, messaging change, 
particularly here in Pennsylvania, this is going to become quite the issue to monitor. And the fallout from this is something that's going to be a huge storyline, you've got to think, going into the primaries on May 17th. And it should be noted that while Pennsylvania does have one Democratic senator for now, Bob Casey, and the governor is currently a Democrat, Tom Wolf, the legislature is heavily Republican and has been trying for years, possibly decades, to try to limit the access of women to abortions. And often when they've tried, it's been met with a veto by a Democratic governor. Now, KYW's Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melwer has been looking into the local legislative and political impacts if this decision does actually come down. And Jim joins us now. Jim, what legislation is on the table here in the Commonwealth if Roe versus Wade is overturned? This, it's not a complete shock. There's been movement in this direction since Amy Coney Barrett was uh, was confirmed uh, and some cases started bubbling up uh, in the, the U.S. Supreme Court, kind of indicating that that if 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 not completely overturned, that there were going to be changes to Roe v. Wade uh, that would change, uh, I, I guess, kind of the floor for abortion law in Pennsylvania. And so there there were bills uh, introduced at the even going back to the early part of 2021, Roe v. Wade has always kind of had an umbrella over what laws could be introduced, knowing that uh, they would be thrown out if, if they went too far. Uh, and and so some of those bills have already passed committee and and have kind of moved in the House and could be taken up at any point. Um, th- there's one a so-called heartbeat bill, although there's uh, you know, debate over what heartbeat actually is, uh, but you would prohibit abortion after a heartbeat is detected. That could be uh, generally it's about five or six weeks, but could even be three weeks uh, in, into a pregnancy, which, you know, creates an issue because oftentimes women don't know they're pregnant that early. Uh, and uh, another bill would prohibit state funding to an organization that does any kind of abortion that that's not new that's been out there before uh, right now pennsylvania law uh, state funds cannot be used specifically for an abortion outside of rape incest or if the mother's life is at risk uh what this would do or, or public funds at all i guess i should say there what this would do uh, this bill would 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 outlaw any state funding going to an organization that does any kind of abortion at all regardless of where that money is earmarked um, th- there's uh, another bill that would amend the state constitution, which uh, would actually write into the state constitution to say that there is no right to abortion or right to funding for abortion. Um, so th- there's several bills that are already kind of out there um, that would really chip away uh, at abortion access in, in Pennsylvania. And this also comes as there is a race to replace Tom Wolf, who's term limited. And this, as you put it this morning, means that the governor's race in Pennsylvania now becomes a referendum on abortion. On one side, you've got Josh Shapiro, who's been running unopposed for the Democratic nomination. And you've got a group of Republicans who are running for that nomination. When you mention that this is a referendum on abortion, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, well, that's a good question, and it, and it depends on, or it depends who you talk to. Uh, back up a couple of steps. Tom Wolf, current governor, who's governor through January, uh, has said that any of these, if any of these bills reach his desk, he will veto them, and they they more than likely do not have a veto-proof majority in in the legislature, so those vetoes would likely stand. Uh, and uh, Josh Shapiro, who is the 
very likely Democratic nominee uh, running unopposed in the primary uh, for governor, um, ha- has said that he would continue that. And, and he's made it an issue. He's making it a big issue saying that he feels that the uh, the veto pen needs to be maintained. If you talk to Republicans, their, their stance, uh, everyone in the race is, uh, for the most part, believes that, that Roe v. Wade should be overturned and that it should be returned to the states. And, and then there's some nuance as far as, you know, a complete uh, ban on abortions all the way to to allow for some exceptions, you know, health of the mother, uh, rape, incest, uh, you know, in some cases, health of the of the you know viability of the fetus of the, those things. Um, so there is some some nuance along the, uh, the 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 banning abortion or limiting abortion. One of the the ways I've heard it described is in this case, um, Republicans are kind of the, the dog that caught the garbage truck and now they're they have to figure out what to do with it. In, in other words, this is, you know, this is a debate that's gone on, you know, basically since Roe v. Wade in, in, in the early 70s. Uh, and, and now here we are where it's likely that it does get thrown back to the states. While that's good for a lot of candidates, you know, and and, and going down under the, the governor and, and the Senate races and getting into legislative and congressional races, especially in the state legislature in southeastern PA, where you get uh, contested races and you have moderate Republicans, this is trouble for them. And and this uh, removing Roe v. Wade takes away some cover for, for those those moderate Republicans. And and really in in, a, in races that were shaping up to be pro-Republican uh, in, in many ways kind of throws a lifeline to some of those Democratic candidates. And so, you know, again, depending who you talk to, if you talk to People on on the right, they're going to downplay the significance of this and say, hey, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of other issues, you know, workforce issues, uh, inflation, uh, gas prices, all those things, you know, uh, pandemic restrictions that were in place that were really frustrating. That stuff's all still there. So you can't just, you know, the people on the right are saying you can't just throw that out and say it's all about abortion. People on the left are going to say, look, man, this is why you need this. You need the veto pen and, and the governor's race specifically. This is why you need the veto pen uh, in Harrisburg. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the over the next few few uh, next several months. Um, you know, how much of an effect it has in the primary? I, I don't know. I think the, the candidates all have pretty similar stances as, as far as their parties are concerned. But definitely as we get towards the general, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> This is such a crazy year in Pennsylvania. First off, you have redistricting, which by itself would be enough. And then you have an open Senate seat, which by itself would be enough. And then you have the, the governor's term limited. So that's open as well. It's already a crazy year. And now you throw this into the mix. You know, I mean, it's it's really just it, it, it's absolutely fascinating how things are going to play out. Jim, with you having the pulse on the suburbs the way you do, do you think that that might be a particularly volatile area now because this issue is going to be brought more to the forefront, regardless of what some of the candidates might do as far as their messaging or positioning on this? Do you think that the particular area of the Pennsylvania suburbs now becomes more volatile? Yeah, I I, I think, you know, a a, a quick history lesson um, the the Pennsylvania legislature, the Republicans from southeastern PA in the state legislature were always considered the more moderate. And then, you know, kind of central PA uh, were the, the more conservative Republicans. 
um, and, and especially on social issues. You know, in southeastern PA, it was the, the fiscally conservative, uh, socially moderate Republican was was generally, you know, the suburban Republican. That was kind of that was the, the, the name for that more moderate Republican. Uh, with recent blue waves and the loss of nuance and 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 kind of the the Trumpification of of politics, uh, but that that southeastern PA conservative has kind of been wiped out of the state legislature, and arguably is why you see the state legislature in Pennsylvania move heavier into a lot of those uh, more conservative uh, stances on a lot of things. And you know this is a, a brutal simplification of things, but. This could could further that. And while you have moderate Republicans who are, if you made them check a box, it would probably be pro-life, but also have, you know, there, there may be Republicans who say, hey, look, we can have, uh, you know, exceptions for for rape, incest, health of the mother, viability of the fetus. In those cases, yes, let's keep uh, let, let's keep abortion legal. Now, by saying that, are they do they fall out of the the pro-life category and into the pro-choice category because they've put they've put some exceptions in there. So, you know, when when you break it into a binary yes or no, black and white, uh, pro-life, pro-choice, uh, you 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 put uh, a lot of candidates into boxes that that maybe they may not belong in, and and that makes it challenging. We were talking earlier amongst the the pod team also about the. The suburban woman vote, which is, you know, I think both sides try to go after that. It's a little bit like walks the line. There are a lot of women who typically vote Republican, but feel strongly about protecting women's rights. And so this is going to be where do they go from here? Likewise, I've seen the other side of it where people who are typically Democratic are religious, are Catholic, and feel very strongly that abortion shouldn't be allowed. So... There's no way to answer what are they going to do. But do you see that being kind of a something at play in, in this election now? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Planned Parenthood v. Casey is one of the landmark cases regarding abortion. And, and Casey is the governor of Pennsylvania, uh, uh, Bob Casey Sr. So and he was a, a Democrat who was was pro-life. So that that's Pennsylvania. And, and uh, it was I, I just talked to to a Republican strategist who kind of gave the history on that, where you, you find that and, and I'm going to wander in the weeds a little bit here just because I love history and this is really interesting. Um, but he said you, you generally find that in areas that had a lot of coal because the, the parts of Europe that would come over and, and work in those coal mines were traditionally, you know, their politic their politics aligned with Democrats, but they were, you know, the religion, whether it was Catholicism or whatever, was very uh, pro-life. So that's where a lot of those pro-life Democrats came from. And that's why Pennsylvania was kind of heavily, uh, there were a lot of pro-life Democrats. But as far as, as far as the suburban woman, I'll tell you what, it's going to be interesting to see what wins out here. Because if you talked to me a month ago, before we started having this conversation, the single issue would have been masks in schools. And that was that was motivating a lot of people and, and a lot of people I know who are, you know, pretty liberal and, and, and Democrats were saying, I'm a single issue voter come November. I'm sick of masks. My kid's not going to school in masks anymore. I'm voting Republican. I don't care. Well, what does this do? You know, and, and that's kind of what I mean when I say, you know, that this is kind of 
in in some cases and and broad generalization uh throwing a lifeline to some democrats that might have been in trouble otherwise this decision lifts the cover for for the republican who could you know kind of say yeah i'm pro-life but you know roe v wade what are we going to do now now they're you know they're on the clock you know so we'll see we'll see what that if there is a single issue and if there's a single issue that's driving people and and that suburban woman is it the masks is it the the pandemic response the the issues that we've seen in schools over the past several years uh, or is it going to be you know women's rights and 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 right to choose well jim thanks for helping us at least ponder those questions even if we don't have definitive answers yet We're going to take a quick break now before we get into our final big question, looking at the broader repercussions of a decision like this and how it might have ripple effects beyond access to abortion. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We've been trying to answer some big questions about the possible Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the thing is, this could go way beyond abortion. So to give us an understanding of that, plus what the real effects of banning abortion would look like, we reached out to Rachel Rebuchet. She's a law professor and interim dean of law at Temple, who is also working on two research projects related to reproductive health. And she's an author of Governance, Feminism and Introduction. So we thought she'd be a perfect expert to give us a little more insight here. And our director of podcasting, Tom Rickert, gave Dean Rebuchet a call. Tom, how did that conversation go? Uh, It it went great. So normally we like to set things up and have everyone in the best possible recording environment, (laughs) whatever (laughs) that means to you. Uh, But obviously this happened last night. We were figuring out what to do in the last few hours. So when I called Dean Rebichet, she was she was literally on an airplane (laughs) right before taking off. I really want to make this work, but everything keeps... Yeah, it's okay. It's, a t- it's an insurmountable um, task, maybe. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just grateful that we, we were able to get a hold of her, and that's why it sounds yeah. like we're talking on a cell phone on an airplane, because we, we actually were. The, the first thing I asked her was, um, one thing we hear a lot is that making abortion harder to access does not stop women from having abortions, but it does stop legal abortions in that state. So what might a woman seeking an abortion do if it's no longer accessible in Pennsylvania? What what could we see here? So I think you'll see a couple of things. You'll see a lot of travel. If Pennsylvania, for example, bans abortion, people will travel to New York, New Jersey, where it's most likely the case that those states will have state protection for abortion rights. And travel's going to look a little different. People are going to travel to both brick-and-mortar clinics, but over time, you know, those clinics are going to be harder to sustain if there's a, if, if states 25 to 27, we uh, suspect, uh, can ban abortion. Uh, what's changing in abortion access is um, the increase in medication abortion. So um, increasingly, there are virtual clinics that offer telehealth for abortion care. Um, you can be, you can cross the border to New York and have a telehealth appointment and have medication abortion shipped to you. Um, there are some interesting legal questions that result from that. Finally, I would just say, um, as related to those legal questions, you're going to see, I think, a big uptick in self-managed abortion. 
people um, ordering abortion medications online and taking them at home. So this other ripple effect has to do with the right to privacy. Sabrina, you you talked about this earlier. Right. Uh, There are some concerns from people who've spent some time with this opinion that the reasoning behind overturning Roe could have implications for other big social societal issues that are connected to the right to privacy. So I asked Dean Rabochet if she had any thoughts about that. So I think that Justice Alito in his draft, if he wrote the draft, I think Chief Justice Roberts confirmed that it was an official draft of the court. You know, he went to some pains. He says in a couple places in that opinion that this is just about the right to abortion. It has nothing to do with other rights that are protected under the 14th Amendment, the right to marriage, the right to procreation, the right to contraception, the right for parents to dictate the education of their children. That said, it's not altogether clear what the implications will be. There are other considerations. One consideration is how um, the Justice Alito applied um, his analysis in the draft. Um, he spent a lot of time in this draft talking about how abortion is not a right under the 14th Amendment because it's not rooted in the country's history. Um, even says it's just about abortion because abortion, unlike the right to marry or the right to contraception, involves ending a fetal life, which is different and more morally significant than other issues, more important to states. Even though he says that, you, we might wonder um, what issues the court has decided that it might revisit or what, what doors are closed for additional rights that could be part of the 14th Amendment's jurisprudence. So new forms of intimacy or relational rights, um, you know, take someone who wants to assert that there's a right to surrogacy as part of the right to bear and beget children. You know, the analysis in this draft suggests that door is closed unless there is a right that, um, you know, meets Justice Alito's conception of what is history and tradition. Dean Rebuchet, we'd love to call you back in a couple of days and, you know, see, see what else we, we learn about this. Thank you so much for your time, for literally calling us from an airplane. Really appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Happy to talk and very happy to talk in the next few days. Have a safe flight, please. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, we're we're going to do a lot more with this question soon and over the next couple of weeks. We're actually working on an episode of KYW News Radio in depth about the uh, the all of the the ripple effects, the aftershocks from this decision. So um, we're we're all sort of grappling with this uh, and what it could mean in real time. And uh, we're going to be making the content. If if people have questions, we're going to try to answer them in the next couple of weeks. Tom, thanks for jumping in last minute on a day like this. Hey, I'm happy to help. Now, for more on everything that we've talked about today, be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Johncast as well as at KYW News Radio as we continue to just get more and more information on this. We'll have all of that for you throughout the afternoon and evening here. But that's it for today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Thank you for checking us out on this Tuesday. We'll be back again to help you get over the hump on Wednesday.